Amen. Amen. Good morning, Harvest family and friends. And whether you're joining us for the first time or you're joining us again, your family here, you're welcome here. You're wanted here. And I'm so glad that you are here. We're going to continue our Heart of the Matter series in 1 Samuel. So if you want to get a head start there, 1 Samuel chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. And uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are some available for you in the back. We would love for you to keep that as our gift to you, or you can look it up on your phone or however you get into God's Word. We love to worship at Harvest, and God is doing a mighty work here in a variety of ways. And so, again, we're going to be at one service and moving back to one service next Sunday at 10 a.m. We're excited to come together and to celebrate that and to continue to grow together as a church. We're going to continue to grow together in many ways that God is giving us, and we worship through God's Word, through worship, and through giving as well. And so, thank you for your faithfulness and uh, in giving, and, and we want to continue to encourage us all if we are call Harvest Our Church Home to continue giving generously, whether online or in the box in the back. And question for you guys this morning as we dive in. You're going to see a picture on the screen. Go ahead and put that up right now if you don't mind, Amari. Anybody remember this? <laughs> Good memories, bad memories. I don't anybody have one of these back in the day? This is what we would call a tickle me Elmo. And some of you guys are like, what in the world? Well, here's the deal. It was a, it was a month between Thanksgiving and Christmas in 1996, year of our Lord, 1996, right? Everyone was minding their own holiday business when a Tickle Me Omo craze broke out nationwide. And these stuffed animals did such amazing things like actually laugh and vibrate and, and had some annoying phrases when squeezed. And they retailed originally for about 30 bucks, but when it appeared on a popular talk show at the time and everybody in the audience got one, apparently every parent and every kid decided they needed one too. A craze broke out, a shortage ensued, supply diminished, demand skyrocketed, price gouging ensued, and dolls were sold out wherever you could sort of try to find them. And if you could find them, they were over $1,000 for that thing. Fights broke out in stores, and one's parental street cred apparently rose and fell based on their ability to provide this coveted item for their children because everybody wanted to be just like everybody else around them. Now, isn't that our hearts as well? We're going to see that in the text today, how our hearts has a, a predisposition to yearn to be like other people that are around us. We're going to see the reality from 1 Samuel 8 that when we base our desires more on what others have around us and what God's best is for us, disaster is imminent for us. Friends, what delights our hearts this morning drives our lives. What delights your heart drives your lives. It's what you spend money for. It's what you make time for. It's what you give your passion to. How many of us are seduced by what others have around us instead of being satisfied by what God has already provided for us? We see our neighbor pull up in a brand new car and all of a sudden we're going on like autotrader.com, right? Going, hey, what's the price on a new car for me? We see a commercial for a new iPhone and all of a sudden, even though we just got one six months ago, guess what we got to have? The new iPhone. This is why celebrity athletes and actors get paid millions of dollars for endorsements and commercials because it's a proven fact that when we see popular people have something, guess what? We want it too. And no, just because Tom Brady wears Uggs, I will not be wearing Uggs, okay? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue or work hard for things, save or invest in nice things. It just means we should not place our earth, our identity in these things or anchor our lives in them. Because when we are consumed by the world, we will be consumed by the world. When we are consumed with the world, we will be consumed by the world. The world will eat us up, chew us up, spit us out. And ultimately, what we thought will satisfy us will ultimately destroy us. 
Friends, my question for you this morning is where are you seeking your satisfaction? And I pray that you would open your hearts. I believe that God wants to do a work this morning in me and in all of us. And I pray that you would open your, your minds to whatever God would have. God's heart for you is to experience true joy, enduring hope, unconditional love, the abundant life. We all talk about things, and marketers talk about this, the best, how to live your best life now. Can I tell you that your best life now is found in and through Jesus Christ? Jesus doesn't just want you to survive today. He wants you to thrive. Anybody else want to thrive today? No matter what circumstances are around you, it's available for you today because Jesus has provided it for you today. Here is Jesus' words from John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I came that they, meaning us, may have life and have it abundantly. Not just life, but abundance of life. Jesus is our source of life, the best life now. The world may allure us, but it will never satisfy us because frankly, it's never enough for us, is it? Because even for those parents that got those Tickle Me Elmos, guess what happened two years later? The Furby came along and it started all over again because we just live in a world that what we have is never, ever, ever enough. Friends, today God is calling us to stop striving for the world and start resting in God. Anybody need to find rest this morning? Here's a big idea this morning. When God, when only, only when God is enough for me do I experience life abundantly. You want to live your best life now? It's when we choose to allow God to be enough for us. The best life for me is when I embrace the reality that God's word is best for me and that God himself is enough for me. That's our best life. So only when God is enough for me do I experience life abundantly. I, I, I only experience life abundantly when Jesus is my source of sufficiency. Sufficiency means to meet one needs, our search for identity, our search for joy, our search for hope, peace, satisfaction can only be found in Jesus because when God isn't enough for me, destruction is ahead for me. What will you choose today? Choose to place your satisfaction in Jesus and find the abundant life or choose to seek satisfaction in the world and experience destruction in your life? choice is yours. We're going to see the Israelites make a certain choice today, and the choice is laid before us today as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that we stand here today and anchor our hearts and souls in the truth that you are enough for us, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was enough for our sins, that your, uh, your approval is enough for our identity, that your love is enough for me every morning, that your faithfulness is new, no matter what I've done, you are faithful to us. And God, in these moments, I pray that your word would speak. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us into your truth. That you would open our hearts, that you would quiet our minds, and that you would speak to our souls. That you would stir us afresh with a passion for who you are. And that we would turn our hearts towards you. Maybe for the first time that we would choose you today and give our lives to you. Maybe again, we need to come back to you. Understanding that all of us every day and every choice that we make need to choose you, to choose to submit our hearts to you and to surrender our lives under the authority of your word, to walk with obedience that is fueled by reverence and, li and leads to life experienced in abundance. Father, I thank you for who you are. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. For Samuel chapter 8, we're going to read the first nine verses right now, and this is the, the word of the Lord. When Samuel became old, 
It happens to the best of us. He made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second son was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but they turned aside after gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now when we last left the nation of Israel, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the, the book of 1 Samuel. That's what we do here at Harvest. We, we found them in chapter 7, turning their hearts and their lives back to the Lord, right? They had wandered, but then they turned back, and they, they repented, and they saw God give them a great victory as they placed their dependency on him. He defeated the Philistines, and then they, they set up this memorial, Ebenezer, if you would. Literally, that's what they named them. God is our help, and they, say, they felt experienced peace and joy and restoration, But now, a few years later, several years later, Samuel, who was a prophet at the time, became old. And we see this theme which has happened all throughout the nation of Israel throughout the time of the judges. Samuel's the the final judge before the monarchy comes. The people did what was right in their own minds. They went back to the Lord, and then they went back to themselves in terms of who was king of their hearts. It isn't that the same for us. We drift from the Lord when we become distracted by the world. Now we see commercials all the time about distracted driving, right? What happens when we drive distractedly? Bad stuff, accidents, text and drive, get distracted and drive, and there are laws that are prevented against it. But how many of us today are living distractedly? We were distracted by the world so much that we are drifting from God's word. And like you might find yourself drifting out of the lane and into a ditch when you drive your car and are texting, Today, when you are distracted by the world, you will drift from God's word and end up in the ditch of destruction that comes in all different shapes, sizes, and formats in our lives. Drifting from God happens when my desires for God diminishes in comparison to my desires for this world. Friends, what are you desiring most this morning? The Israelites compromised their commitments to God that we saw them making in chapter 7 where it literally said they turned, they repented, and they only served the one true God. Here, God himself is telling Samuel they are going to serve other gods. And when you compromise your commitment to God, it leads to consequences in your life as you choose to live apart from God. Today, we're going to look at four common reasons that we're going to see in this text of why all of us frequently choose to reject God in big ways and in small ways. I'm gonna ask you the question of where today are you rejecting God? Where is God asking you to do a U-turn and repent to him? Sometimes this happens in a blatant way. More commonly, it happens in subtle, everyday decisions that we don't seem as significant in the moment, but are ultimately leading us into the ditch of destruction as we live distractedly, as our heart goes more and more and more towards the world. The first reason that we, you and I often reject God is this, is I desire the riches of this world 
more than God. I desire the riches of this world more than God. We see this in the first three or four or five verses of, of this chapter. Samuel's getting old. It happens to the best of us. Trust me, talk to my hairline, right? And he made his sons the judges of Israel. Now, Samuel was a godly man. This was not the best decision. What we see happening to his sons was his sons did not walk in the ways of the Lord. Why? In verse 3, because they turned aside after gain. They desired the riches of the world. They pursued the gains of earth more than the ways of God. Where are you and I doing that today? And may this be a lesson to us that even though these were judges, that Samuel made his sons judges, just because you have positional authority does not mean you have a heart posture of integrity. You can have the earthly position, but it doesn't mean you have the proper posture. Where is your heart posture of surrender and submission to the Lord? Samuel's sons took bribes and perverted justice. Why? That was the fruit. The root was their heart, heart of greed that had desired the world more than God. They turned out their fleshly, selfish gain, but their heart didn't start that way. It turned that way. Friends, we are all susceptible to this, aren't we? We're all vulnerable to this. Our hearts are fickle. They're fleeting. The Lord tells us this in Jeremiah 17, 9. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our heart of flesh will lead us to do things that we never thought we could. And you end up, ever end up wondering, how in the world did I get here? It's because you allowed your heart step by step to drift from God's word and to desire the world and earthly riches, whatever that is, money, fame, fortune, what your body looks like, what your relationships look like, what your job title is, more than God's word. Jesus warns us of this when he tells his disciples this and tells us this in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, that includes us, would come after me, we have to make this choice, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We see this lived out in 1 Samuel chapter 8 right here. Samuel's sons and now the nation of Israel, they want the world and it will destroy them. They had God and he delivered them. What do you want more today? This is a question of personal value and worship. Where in your hearts and lives is your earthly status greater than your eternal security in Jesus? This is not about your portfolio, your earthly portfolio, as much as it is about the posture of your heart and the pursuits of your life. If you have the ability to make money, make as much as you can, seriously. But use it for the glory of God. It's not the actual having money that is wrong, it's when money has you that's wrong. The question today is, do, we, do you have stuff or does your, we all have stuff, but the question is, does your stuff have you? What is the purpose for which you are stewarding your possessions? Personal gain or the kingdom advance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Samuel's sons rejected 
God's pursuit. They took bribes. They perverted justice. Why? Because the root of their heart was filled with greed, pride, and the world. What's your heart right now? Is there any, ask a question of this year, of, of this, a diagnostic question. Is there anything in my life, any amount of money, any possession, any title that I am unwilling to give over to God and give up to God and lay down to God and say, God, have this, use this, do whatever you want with this for your glory, because by the way, it's yours, not mine anyway. Is there anything in your life that maybe you're like, I give my tithe, that's great. We all need to be doing that. That's that's what the Lord teaches, but I'm gonna hold this back in reserve. God, you can't touch my 401k. God, you can't touch this. You can't touch my house. You can't touch this. You can't touch, that's, that's, whose is it? Mine. No, that's, should be God's. And you ask yourself, why in the world are you clinging so tightly to that? A family, this, whatever it is for you. What you're unwilling to let go has an improper hold of you. And it will never deliver you and it will never satisfy you. It will only hold you captive. There's a lot of nice things in this world we can't have and can't enjoy. God made us to enjoy this world, but there's only one need that we have in this life. His name is Jesus. Jesus himself says this as he prays in John 17, three, he says, this is eternal life. You wanna know what abundant life is? It's not the accumulation of stuff that you can't take with you when you die. It's this, that they know, they, they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life, that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that you know the one true God. That is worth way more than whatever Elon Musk has in his bank account. What is your primary need to have thing in this life right now? Is it Jesus or is it something else? John says this in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ouch. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the God abides forever. He's saying you can't take your stuff with you. Are you spending your life on stuff that will matter for eternity? Are you giving your resources to stuff that will matter for eternity? Look, I hope you all shoot under 80 one time. I will never get there. I stink at golf. Enjoy it. But don't idolize it. What in your life is your flesh desiring most? Where in your life are your eyes looking to the most to find joy, to find satisfaction, to find identity? I pray and I hope that it's Jesus. Remember, only when God is enough for me do I experience life abundantly. The second reason that you and I so often reject God is this. I forget the faithfulness of God. I forget the faithfulness of God. The elders of Israel in verses four and five come to Samuel and say, hey, Samuel, by the way, if you haven't noticed, you're getting old and we, we need a succession plan. Who's gonna lead us after you die? Because by the way, it can't be your boys because you know how they live and they're not walking with the Lord and we need someone that can walk with the Lord. And by the way, here's our solution. We want a king. Now why? Verse five, 
Not because God's, we believe it's God's best for us, not because we all prayed and this is what God said to us. No, because we want to be just like everybody else. You know, all those non-God-honoring nations, you know, those ones that attack us, those ones that worship false life, we want to be just like them. Now, that sounds a little preposterous, doesn't it? But how many of us actually live that same way? More on that in a second. Samuel was upset about this desire. He was offended. He was hurt. He went, I would be too. And he went to God about it. And God's response is very interesting. Verse seven, the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but here's the key, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They've rejected God. And Samuel, it's like, God's like, I get it, Samuel, trust me. What they're doing to you is just a microcosm and at their core, they're rejecting me. They've rejected God through their deeds that have forsaken God, for people that have forsaken God and served other gods. Friends, our rejection of God leads to our destruction apart from God. This text screams that. And maybe you're living that right now, but it's not too late for you if that is you. But what happened here is why were they rejecting God? Honestly, they, the Israelites experienced what I would call some spiritual amnesia. And honestly, I think all of us do as well. I pray that we find ourselves in this story. This is a, it's an uncomfortable story of the reality of our own hearts. We're no different from the Israelites. So maybe we not get off our high horse and read into the text and go, oh, those foolish Israelites. Because I think when we go home, our hearts are a lot like this, if not more so than we want to admit. The Israelites seem to have forgotten. Verse eight, the Lord says this, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day, I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking and serving us. They forgot the one who delivered them. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, God, back in the day, that was nice for our grandpappy, but I want this physical earthly representation of a king because I think it's better for me. They've forgotten the faithfulness and the power and the sovereignty of God that God is the only one who could deliver them. And not, that he, not just the only one who has or can, but the only one who has and will continue to do that. We're frequently forgetful people, aren't we? Anybody remember what you had for lunch three days ago? Uh, I don't know. Some of you can get that. Others of you, like, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Did I have breakfast? Do I need to eat breakfast? I don't know. Anybody remember how God was faithful to you three days ago? I promise you he was, but could you tell one example to your neighbor right now? You don't have to do it right now, but could you pull one example of how God was faithful to you three days ago? We all woke up. We all experienced his great. Like, but how, how easy it is for us, to our minds to drift from the faithfulness and the gospel of God on a daily basis to forget that and fall, and fall into the trap of pursuing the things of this world. We all experience the faithfulness of God every day his forgiveness, his grace, his goodness, his love, his mercy, which is new every morning, his enduring, just care and compassion, his provision. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I'm, I'm going to get this done. But don't you, do you have a roof over your head today? God's providing. Do you have food to put in your belly? Not everybody has. Like God's providing. 
At the end of chapter 7, verse 12, last week, we saw them setting up a memorial to commemorate God's help in defeating the Philistines. And now they want to reject God and be more like the Philistines. Our hearts can lead us to do foolish things all the time, can't it? They forgot that God was the one that brought them out of Egypt and conquered Egypt, that defeated Egypt. And the, the global power of the time with all of the armies and the chariots and the horsemen, God conquered them, but now they want to lower their standard to be more like the Egyptians who had a king, a pharaoh. Kind of like we want to be like our neighbor more than we want to be like God. Or the people we see on TV or on social media. We want to drive what they drive. We want to go where they go. We want to do what they do. And we will compromise and we will commit our lives to do that. And we begin to drift away from God. Our hearts do anyway. Forgetting or neglecting God's faithfulness leads me prone to fall for the world's foolishness. When we take our identity and we pull up the tent pegs that had it anchored in God's, in God's word and we begin to try to drive the tent peg of identity into the sinking sand that is the world around us and what the moving target of success as our world defines it and our culture defines it, you will never find and be able to anchor your identity in that. But where are you trying to source your identity today? The greatest area we walk in foolishness today is to buy into the world's lie that one, God himself is not enough for us. He is. And two, that God himself is not best for us. He is. His word is. Where have you drifted from God's word and are pursuing the world? Misery is searching for something outside of God that can only be found through God. We're all walking through the wilderness. When you pursue the world, it's a mirage. When you pursue God, it's an actual oasis in the middle of the desert that is this world of abundance. So how do we anchor our hearts and lives in God's enduring faithfulness? Look with me just at verse eight and pull out some truths, right? We see the reality that every single day, God is our bondage breaker. He brought his people out of slavery in Egypt and he will bring you out of the slavery in your day today. You might be like, I'm not serving anybody in Egypt, but maybe you're a slave to your job. Maybe you're a slave to your bank account. Maybe you're a slave to your kids. Maybe you're a slave to whatever the, the dream board that you have in 10 years. And I'm not saying don't do this, but when you're like, I want to be at this success level 10 years from now. But when that begins at the center of your life, your military career, whatever it is, and those aren't bad things, but when they become ruling things, they are idolatrous things. And they will lead you into destruction. Remember that God is the bondage breaker and only in him is there freedom. Everything else will hold you captive. God's, God's gonna tell us that directly in the next several verses here. They remember today that God is our daily provider. When he brought his people up out of Egypt and they walked through a wilderness and maybe you were walking through a wilderness today, maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational, maybe it's health-wise, maybe it, whatever it is, God provided food literally falling out of the sky every single day. Isn't that awesome? God provided water out of a rock. God provides for his people every day. You might not have extra, but you will always have enough. And God wants to teach us and provide for us in such a way that we never lose our dependence on God. Whatever situation you're walking through today, God will provide for you. Don't forget the faithfulness of God. 
Lean into his faithfulness. Third and finally, he's, he's an ongoing pursuer. And for, he, he led his people up out of Egypt, and then he, the text continues to say, even to this day, and can, as you read your Bible, up through the first nine chapters of, of nine books of the Bible, this is the ninth book of the Bible in the Old Testament, First Samuel, we see how many times, I lose track of how many times the Israelites repented and then turned away. Repented to God, rejected God. Repented to God, rejected God. They made golden calves. They did all this crazy stuff, but God kept pursuing them and he's gonna continue to pursue them now just like he's continuing to pursue you. Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you have questions. God has created you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. He loves you no matter what. Unconditionally, you are loved. Nothing you can do can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Lean into that. Trust that. Remembering God's faithfulness allows me to rest in God's abundance. God is enough. On my best days, God's enough. On my worst days, God's enough. God is sufficient. And maybe you're walking through something hard right now, or maybe you're wrestling with something difficult in your heart. God's enough. He will break that bondage. He will provide for you whatever you need, and he knows what you need more than you need. He will continue to pursue you and provide for you. I walked through something like that this week, and just something happened, and it really gripped my heart, and it was difficult for me and, um, in a couple different ways. And it was just really, my mind began to spin out into some anxious thoughts and minds, and um, it, was, it was difficult. But God met me in a moment of my own self-pity. I get there sometimes. Um, And he just whispered into me in his enduring, loving way, my son, remember that I'm enough for you. Remember that I'm sufficient for you. I know this feels hard, but remember that my love is enough for you. And I'm faithful for you. And then I walked and got out of my office and walked to get a drink and, and in our Upstairs in our conference room is a picture of, you'll see this on the screen right here, of a poster from seven years ago. Some of you will recognize this. Many of you won't. Seven years ago, when we were in Corgret Faith to launch this church, this was our first financial campaign called Stepping Out in Faith. We need to raise about $70,000 in about six weeks for things like a trailer and music, portable music equipment, all, these, all the things for a startup church because we were first in a middle school. Those, the, the cross is a picture of individual rocks where people in our core group wrote verses of God's faithfulness in them and we arranged them in that way to, and took a picture of it that will live with us forever to remind ourselves and our families of God's faithfulness. It was a story of Joshua from Joshua chapter 424 where, where they cross the Jordan River. God parts the river, they cross it and, and then God says, Joshua, set up a memorial so that when your children ask, what are these stones? This is, will be your response so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. What's amazing in this reality is so much more than I have time to go into today, but memorials are important. And two, it reminded me of the reality that it's amazing to me that many, if not most of you, have no idea what that is. Because God's faithful. And Jesus builds his church. Different things happen, different locations, different people come, people go. Jesus remains and he is faithful. And the same God who is faithful then is gonna be faithful now. And the Holy Spirit whispered three things to me that I pray will be helpful for you right now and how to, how to anchor in, how to look to God's faithfulness. And the Holy Spirit just said, open up your eyes and see me. 
Like literally, open up your eyes. The fact that we're on a 10-acre property, God has blessed us with the reality that we own two buildings. Mind-blowing from where we were seven years ago and through a middle school and a couple missed opportunities and God just had a plan. Like literally, as we look around, this is God's faithfulness. You are a sign of God's faithfulness in your life. It's God's faithfulness. And then he said, humble yourself and trust me. I'm going to do it my way, he said. Humble yourself. Stop being so prideful and insisting it on your way and trust me that I know what is best for you, for the church, for your family, for every family here. You can't control what other people do or don't do, but trust me and pray to me that I will work sovereignly. And then he said, open up your heart and rest in me. Just rest. Psalm 23 is real, not just to memorize, but to meditate on, that I will lead you by still waters. I will restore your soul. Yes, you will go through hard times, but my rod and my staff, they are with you. They will comfort you. They will guide you. And on the other side of that, I will prepare a table for you of my goodness and my love that is not just abundant, it is overflowing, and you will rest in me for eternity in my presence. Rest. I am enough. Praise God for that. Where do you need to rest in him today? Where do you just need to open up your eyes and see the faithfulness of God, even in the craziness and anxiety-producing life that is all around us? The hard stuff. God is still faithful. Only when God is enough for me do I experience life abundantly. The third reason I often reject God is this, is I think I know better than God. I think I know better than God. In verse nine, God tells Samuel, now solemnly warn them about all the things that will happen if you actually continue this pursuit. You think you want this? Open up your eyes. This is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna let you have what you want, but I want you to be fully read in to the consequences of your choice. And here we go in verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and he will appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and all of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and he will put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his, what? Slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. And after all that, verse 19, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
And when Samuel had heard all the words of the Lord, of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. And Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Wow. You're going to end up a slave. Still want it? Yep. A leadership axiom that I've been taught throughout the years by many people that have poured into me and so thankful is that if you think, if you think you're the smartest person or you are the smartest person in the room, guess what? You're probably the wrong, in the wrong room. We all need to grow. We need to learn. We need to be mentored, matured. However, if we're honest, how many of us in this room think we're smarter than God? You might be like, uh, no, I'm not smarter than God, but are your lives speaking an actual different story in how you live? Are you making decisions outside of God's word? Because in those decisions that you are making outside of God's word and being disobedient to God, you are saying that you know better than God or that you are unwilling to follow God, one of the two. I implore you and I encourage you to, it's never the wrong thing, time to make the right decision. Come back to the Lord because we are not smarter than God. We do not know better than God. Every time we disobey, it's a declaration of rejection of God. We're installing our, our coordinating ourselves as king of our own hearts and kicking God off the throne that he deserves. So in this verses 10 through 18, here's, here's the reality of the new monarchy, heavy taxes of harvest and livestock, forced labor from your sons and your daughters, commandeering the best servants to do your work, all of it leading to slavery. And they're like, we still want it. Why? Because pride is blinding. Is it not? There's a reason why scripture says that when we are prideful to God, God will oppose us. And when we are humble before God, God will lift us up. He will provide, he will exalt. First Peter five. This reality ends in captivity, bondage. And he goes, you're not gonna like it. In fact, you're gonna cry out because of the king whom you've chosen. You still, you sure you want this? Friends, when the God is enough for you, the gospel frees you no matter what the circumstances are around you. Every heart, every life has a king. A king is whatever you think you must have in order to be happy and secure. All kings make their subjects into servants. The question is, are you a bond slave to a king that brings you death, the world, or a bond slave to a king that brings you life, Jesus Christ? Whom are you signing your rights over? Whom are you voluntarily making yourself a slave to today? Jesus or the world? Where are you saying, I need to have this, fill in the blank, to have happiness and success and satisfaction? I need to have. We might have a long list of nice to haves. There's only one need to have. And his name is Jesus. But when you fill in that I need to have blank with anything short of Jesus Christ, it ends up in captivity. And you are held captive by that thing that you are pursuing and it will bring you destruction in your life and misery. Pride always produces pain. Humility always provides hope. Choose yourself today whom you will serve. Pride insists on telling God what is best for you. Humility asks God what is best for you. The gospel is a pride killer. And the gospel is a humility fertilizer because in the gospel, we realize our own depravity and we realize the significance of Jesus's deliverance. We are great sinners and we own that and we put ourselves under 
as a bond slave through surrender, Jesus Christ, who is our greater savior. You want a king? Okay, here's the warnings. Friends, hard hearts to God lead to hard lives apart from God. Where's your heart today? When you compromise your commitments to God, you experience devastating consequences from not walking with God. When you compromise your convictions and commitments in your dating relationships and go, I need a spouse or a significant other, whatever, more than I need God, you begin to do things that you thought you would never do physically or otherwise. Why? Because you have elevated something to a pedestal and made it a king and ruler in your life that it shouldn't. Same thing with a job, same thing with a family, same thing with a school, a GPA, whatever it is. What delights you drives you. Sports, performance. I need to be a this, this, and this. I need to have this GPA or hit this batting average. So all of a sudden I cheat on a test. I never thought I'd cheat. I take performance enhancing drugs. I never thought I'd do that. You begin to cut corners because you've replaced the true king in your life with a king that will destroy you and hold you captive in your life. When God isn't enough for you, misery awaits for you. Where in your life is God not enough for you today? Praise God that he hears us when we cry out with a clean and broken heart. Will you do that today in the areas where God is not enough for you? A big reality check in this text is there is a theme here. The word that it was saying over and over and over is this word, take. Six times, the king will take this. It will take this. It will take this. Friends, the world will take from you. God will give to you. God is a giver, freely of grace. The gospel is a free gift of God. Praise God for his grace. He gives you life. He gives you hope. The world will just take, take, take. You feel like you've been taken today? Anybody exhausted from being taken by the world? Because the text says this clearly, the world will take from you when you make it your king. Most kings send out others to die for them. Our king chose to die for us. Praise God that even when we are faithless, God is always faithful. There is only one true king and his name is Jesus Christ. In this text, it's teaching us that the Israelites have rejected God from being king over them. Have you rejected God from being your king today? Where are you acting today like you know better than God? Where are you ignoring and not heeding God's warnings? Do you hear one of the interesting things in this text is God doesn't say no. He just says it's not gonna go well for you. Sometimes God doesn't say no to you. When honestly, it might go better for you if he did. Give them what they want. Because that's one of the scariest things. Sometimes God's greatest judgment is actually giving us and allowing us to have what our hearts desire. when we will learn the hard way that life is captivity away from Jesus' victory. Only when God is enough for me do I experience life abundantly. The fourth and final reason that we often reject God today is this, is I desire to be like my neighbor more than like God. Our hearts, God's heart for you is that you don't just accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you desire to be sanctified. That means a fancy word to continue to grow to be more like God. Did that become your primary pursuit in your heart and your life? Here, the primary pursuit of the people of God was not to grow to be more like God, but was to do what? To be more like their neighbors. Is that you today? 
Are you, trying, are you aspiring to grow to be more like God or more like your neighbor today? Who do you want to be like when you grow up? We all ask that question. We've all been asked that question. I pray the answer is God, like legitimately today. Who do you want to be like when you grow up most? The people flat out said no to God. And they didn't realize that saying no to God at that time meant saying no to an abundant life and true hope and joy and peace because they were blinded by the, the foolishness and the fleshliness of their hearts. They rejected God because he wasn't enough for them. They wanted to be like all the other nations, to have an earthly king judge them and lead them and fight them into battle. Can you imagine being God who has delivered them over and over and over and over again, hearing this? I want somebody else to judge me. I want somebody else to go before me. I want somebody else to fight my battle. I mean, that's hard and painful to hear. You know, as parents, it's sort of hard when you pour out for your kids and your kids and your kids and your kids are like, I want somebody else to do this, right? I want somebody else to provide for me. Imagine it being God, but yet God's heart and his faithfulness, he is faithful to us even when we are faithless to him. He continues to love. It's enduring love. He loves you. They wanted to be like their neighbors because they were distracted by the world and it led to destruction in their lives. They, the trade that they were making was not just ill-advised, but illogical. They had seen the one true God thoroughly defeat every other earthly king. And now they were trading the one eternal God in for an earthly king? That makes no sense. On a much lesser scale, it, it reminds me of one of the worst trades ever in sports when the Boston Red Sox traded the greatest baseball player ever, Babe Ruth, to the Yankees. For $100,000 and a $300,000 loan to finance the owner's play called No No Nanette. Anybody here of No No Nanette? But they were so distracted by other pursuits, they lost sight of the main thing, and it led to, this, I don't know about destruction, but it, it sent their franchise into turmoil while Babe Ruth thrived as a Yankee. When we are distracted, it leads us to do foolish things. Where in your heart's life has it led you to be distracted that you throw away the greatest thing ever for something that is fool's gold? Experiencing abundant life only happens when you pursue becoming like God with your entire life. Saying no to authority like the Israelites were doing, trust me, it comes naturally to us. Just hang out with a toddler or a teenager. But it's not God's best for you. Where in your life are you saying no to God right now? It's gonna go this poorly if you continue to spend your money this way, if you continue in this dating relationship, if you continue this way or that way. But you're like, no, God, I know what's best for me. I'm gonna keep doing it anyway. And at one point, God, it's not gonna go well. Where are you pursuing being like your neighbor with your finances, your time, your money, your heart? And friends, just be careful what you ask for. God might just give it to you. God might just give it to you. One of the hardest things for me as a parent, as a friend, as a pastor, as a Christ follower, and I, I say this as a fallen, broken person who makes foolish decisions, is to see people that I love make decisions that are gonna lead them into pain and to not be able to do anything about it. May we all stop trying to keep up with the Joneses and start pursuing becoming like Jesus Christ. Paul writes about this reality in Romans chapter one. If you want a full scope, read the entire chapter. 
but this is a New Testament version of this. For although they, they being the world, knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Man, our hearts are fickle, they're fleeting, and they're foolish, are they not? Praise God for his grace. Where today are you exchanging the creator for the created, the beauty of the gospel, for the destruction of this world. Knowing that when we do these things, we deserve to die, but praise God for his grace. Where in your life are you forsaking what you know the consequences will be to come and doing something you know isn't God honoring because you are pleasure seeking fleshly? When God is it enough for me, destruction awaits me. Don't be a fool. Mr. T once said that. How do I know if God's enough for me? Here's some heart questions for all of us this morning from this text. In 1 Samuel, am I looking to God as my judge? The Israelites wanted somebody else to judge them. Ultimately, God is my judge. That's the meaning of my name. Daniel means God is my judge. At the end of the day, I answer to God and I can find acceptance through God. But are you seeking so hard to please your boss, your friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your kids, that you're drifting from the world because your identity matters in your mind more to them than it does to God? Second question, am I turning to God to fight my battles today? We all have battles. Where are you turning? The Israelites wanted to turn away from God. The emotional battles, the physical battles, the financial battles, the relational battles, spiritual battles. Who are you turning to to fight your battles today? Three, am I trading God's glory? Am I trading in the character of the immortal God for pagan earthly images, for technology, for money? for success, for a degree, for a diploma, for a medal. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but they are horrible gods and they will destroy you. Is God my primary desire and delight? Or do you wanna be like the nations? Do you wanna be like everybody else? Or is God enough for you? Is God your desire? Is he your delight? Taste and see, friends, that the Lord is good today. And fifth and finally, is God truly my king? Who's your king? 
Who are you serving? Today, have you rejected God? Or are you running to God? It's not too late. God loves you. He created you. He he died for you. He wants to live forever with you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Only when God is enough for me do I experience life abundantly. Only when God is enough for me. And we are here today to declare the reality that God is enough for us. Where today do you need to reject the world and run back to God? He's enough. And if you're wandering through the wilderness and you're not alone, I'd love to pray with you after the service. We can walk together in the reality of that God is enough. We can pray together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reality that you are enough for us. That our hope isn't found in anything else other than you. And in these moments, I pray that we would shift seeking our hope from worldly things, from being like our neighbors, from pursuing false gods, to remembering that that hope has a name and his name is Jesus because he's sufficient. He fights our battles and through Jesus, we can stand before you, God, and be presented as holy and blameless, upright and righteous, pure because of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, who paid our debt when we are busy running around trying to be like everybody else. Turn our hearts back to you to seek you again. Reveal to us and open our eyes and open our hearts and open our souls of the satisfaction and the sufficiency and the beauty of you. You're enough, God. Forgive us for all the times that we have said in our, with our lips and with our actions and with our life that you're not enough. Today, we come back to you and we give you our hearts and say, we want you to be our king, to be savior, to be Lord. God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.